Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 368 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I am so thrilled that you are here with me today as we are talking to Kelsey Ervick. This is a fantastic chat about giving ourselves permission. It's about allowing some narrative distance and what that means and what that looks like. And you're going to thoroughly enjoy that. So please stick around for the interview that is coming up. I do have to say in advance, sorry for some of the spaces in the recording. Um, Sorry for some of the gaps. Um, We were having some internet difficulties. So just take a deep breath and breathe through them. They will correct themselves and we will be right on track and it would be too hard to edit them into something that makes um, better sense. So it's a practice in accepting the world as it is, which, you know, honestly, I hate to do, but, um, it, but the vast majority of the interview is just fine. So stick around for that with that little warning. Um, what has been going on around here? Well, little Professor Junebug got kicked out of daycare. She um, uh, Daycare was really the best thing in my life. And um, she can't go to it anymore because she's, she is, she's a dog that goes from zero to 100 and does not come back down. I have read now, I have been studying nothing but dogs for the last four months. And I have learned that there are dogs with ADHD. And I'm wondering if she has that because she certainly acts like me, zero to 100 and no time in between. She loves being around other dogs. She, but she plays and plays and plays, and they can't. You can't turn the play off. They can't turn the play off. We can't turn the play off. It requires separation to bring her down, and doggy daycare can't do that. And also, I am worried that it was doing her more harm than good. Having to deal with that frustration, she does have reactivity. She is a frustrated greeter in terms of reactivity. Y'all, there are so many people in these reactivity dog training forums that I have been living in for months that are now dog trainers because they got a reactive dog and now know so much about dogs. And I feel like I am, I am definitely not an expert, but I know 4,000 times the amount I did about dogs. We've always had dogs. This is our first reactive dog and it is a lot to handle. We are learning about management and um, engagement and disengagement, and we're using so many tools. And if anybody has more tools, you know, feel free to email me. Um, but we're using uh, Bat 2.0, and we're using Lat, and all of the all of these things I didn't know about. But she's doing great. She's such a good girl, and she wants to do the right thing. And she's so trainable and learns so quickly, and is so kind and nice and. She doesn't understand when her brain just loses it. And I I swear to you, she's like my my heart in a dog. She is me as a kid. She might be me as a, a 50-year-old too. I'm not quite sure. She's trying. She's trying so hard. So um, I'm just glad that we are able to give her the time necessary to train. I did love my Mondays and my Wednesdays. I mean, sorry, my Wednesdays and my Fridays when it was just so quiet and she was running so hard and then she came home so tired, but it is not to be. So uh, honestly, 
it was very expensive too. And we're a little bit house poor while I was still unemployed. So it is, it's a relief financially not to do that. And it just means more time with the dog, with the puppy who is now nine months old, firmly into adolescence. And uh, I think about her a lot. It has been so fun and also difficult. Uh, but this morning I have to report, I came into my office and she was just um, losing her cabbage and rather awful. And I gave her, you know, an antler to chew on and she settled herself. And I managed to do my 500 words of writing, which turned into 800 words. And then she was so good. And she was actually having a little snooze, a little snore. She had a little, a little um, barking, chasing cars on her bed next to my desk, which is not common. It's really, really hard for her to settle, even though we're training and capturing calm settles. We're doing all that work. Um, but it's hard for her and I didn't want to move. I wanted to keep tippity tapping. And so I just swung right into my daily work, my actual deep work. And I did my full deep work while she was right next to me, snoozing, snoozling like a little snore bug. And it was, it was so nice and so enjoyable. So in those moments, I can see the dog that she will become with a little bit more time. It just takes time, right? Just takes growing up, but it is a, it is a lot. It is a lot. So um, speaking of the deep work, I did manage to finish revising those gosh darn first three chapters of The Fix, which is 18,000 words, and it required a whole new edit. I've mentioned this before, but mashing together chapters that were completely separate. And I have turned them over to um, my most trusted beta reader. I do have a couple of them in my back pocket uh, before I send it to my agent, just because I've been staring at these chapters for so long before the first revision. And then now, and I just, I can't see the forest for the trees or the forest for the wood, as they say here. And I think that's funny. And um, so as soon as I get that, that back, I will send it to my agent and then we will talk about doing a proposal. And then I realized while I was uh, doing some journaling, that that means that if my agent likes what I did with these three chapters, it means the other, um, how many chapters are there? The other nine, yeah, nine plus three is 12. The other nine chapters will have to have the same thing happen to them. But honestly, I think it was hardest to learn how to marry and merge the past tense with the present tense that I had them in. And I think I mentioned this, but I used uh, chat GPT to, change a bunch of the stuff that I had had in past tense, but I needed in present tense for what I was doing with it. I, I asked ChatGPT to do it and it did it perfectly. It was so enjoyable to have all of that minutia done for me instantly. Mm, that was enjoyable. So I will have to do that then. But that is not today. That is not what I have to do today. I have, um, that was a very major thing off of my to be done list that felt good. So that is what has been going on around here. Um, and I think that's all I've got for you today. I hope that you are getting some of your writing done. Oh, I know it. I had one other little thing that I wanted to share with you. Um, in Rachel says, right every week, I have a weekly quote and I wanted to share this one with you this week because it's just kind of been rocking my world. Uh, Brenda Uland wrote a book called If You Want to Write. It was the very first writing book I ever got. It's a very old, old book. And it's a lovely book. And this quote is from that. And Brenda Uland, which is U-E-L-A-N-D, says, I learned that you should feel when writing, not like Lord Byron on a mountaintop, 
but like a child stringing beads in kindergarten, happy, absorbed, and quietly putting one bead on after another. And that has been how my writing has been feeling lately. It just feels good and absorbing and interesting, not frenetic, not upsetting, just like a very nice, solid place to be. And that is possibly because I'm in deep and late revision, right? This book has been done for a long time and now I'm doing new things to it. But that feeling of just slipping one beat on after another. And then after I work for 45 minutes or an hour, I get up and I make another cup of tea or I wander around the house and then I go back and do another little session and it just feels nice. So what I wish for you, my writing friends, is not the terrifying exhilaration of being high on the mountaintop or the feeling of being too deep um, in a place where you feel like you might drown, but being exactly where you should be, doing the work of your heart, one word at a time, stringing them together into these beautiful things, necklaces, beaded mats, whatever it is you're making with those beads. Um, I wish that you are captured by that and that it feels good while you're in there. All right, let's jump into the interview with Kelsey. Kelsey Irvick is the author and illustrator of the graphic memoir, The Keeper, Soccer, Me, and the Law that Changed Women's Lives, which is her third book. Kelsey's stories, essays, and comics have appeared in The Rumpus, The Believer, Washington Post, Lit Hub, and elsewhere. She has a PhD from the University of Cincinnati and is a professor of English and creative writing at Indiana University South Bend. Please enjoy this interview you all here we go do you wonder why you're not getting your creative work done do you make a plan to write and then fail to follow through again well my sweet friend maybe you'd get a lot out of my patreon each month i write an essay on living your creative life as a creative person which is way different than living as a person who binges netflix 20 hours a week and i have lived both of those ways so i know you can get each essay and access to the whole back catalog of them for just a dollar a month, which is an amount that really, truly helps support me at this here writing desk. If you pledge at the $3 level, you'll get motivating texts from me that you can respond to. And if you pledge at the $5 a month level, you get to ask me questions about your creative life that I'll answer in the mini episodes. So basically I'm your mini coach. Go to patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, to get these perks and more. And thank you so much. Well, I am so pleased to welcome you to the show today. Will you please share your name and your pronouns with us? Yes, I am Kelsey Ervick and she, her pronouns. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to talk to you for a multiple of reasons, um, but I, I loved your book. This is a graphic novel, and I don't talk to many graphic novelists on the show. This is just not something that comes up that often, and I am incredibly excited to do it. Can I ask you, this is not a question that I sent you, but what came first with you, the writing or the or the art? Yeah, the I've been a writer for years and years, so just in general, writing came first. Yeah. And I talking about myself as like a writer who started drawing or and maybe it's more accurate to say came back to drawing um but i yeah i mean i've been a writer for many years and published books all made from words you know <laughs> um and then i started to 
do painting and collage. And in my um, last book before this, I had a in the book and was really happy about that. It was accepted as just a, a text only book, but then I kind of managed to say like, hey, I've got these you know, little artworks, could we put them in there? And the editors were like, sure, we'll go with it. Um, and I think just having my work show up, like my, my visual art show up in my book and even on its cover for the last book was so exciting. And, yeah. I, and then I was just like reading graphic novels and graphic memoirs and comics and getting really into it. And, and just like, I mean, like if, if you're talking about just like the discrete process of like how to make this graphic novel and like is um, the writing first or the illustration first, I actually do a lot of it together. Um, mm. I do, I, I type up some Microsoft Word and then I start to letter them on um, digitally in my iPad on I've done elsewhere, but but I do the lettering all um, digitally, and as soon as I start doing that, I realize I have to cut almost everything I wrote, you know, just to condense and compress, and then I figure out like what goes into um, what goes goes into a speech bubble or what goes into you know just like narrative captions, and um, and then and then I start working in a little sketch of something to see how it might lay out. And then I go back to the text and I go back. So it's a lot of back and forth, but. That sounds so incredibly fun. I am kind of a wannabe artist who, who pretty much, I'm pretty confident I will never be an artist, but I'm married to <laughs> an artist and I've been trying to do a graphic novel with her for forever. And <gasps> I, I've already written it. She just needs to do the art and it probably won't happen. But, um, oh, but then I, I, then so. I, it would be really cool. But I, I do play with, you know, this idea. Did you take classes on how to lay out, um, because that is, that's another art of its own. It's just the layout of it. What did, what, how did you learn yeah. about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have taken a number of classes just kind of like online and, you know, cause like with mm -hmm. the pandemic, yeah. when kind of everything went to zoom, I mean, I was like doing class after class, I'd already done some in-person kinds of things. I've done such a range of like you know, several years ago doing like local figure drawing classes at the museum mm -hmm. to like Zoom classes on um, like workshops. I did a couple of like week long workshops at the Center for Cartoon Studies, oh, all wow. about making graphic narratives. Um, I did a workshop at Tin House in person with other um, graphic narratives makers. Yeah, Kristen Radke taught that and she's an amazing cool. teacher and um, an artist. And so, I mean, I have a book on graphic narratives. It's finally going to come out in July. Um, 28 contributors. And I've been learning from them, really. You know, I mean, I, it was part of like how I wanted to learn more about I'm going to edit a book. I'm going to take these classes. I'm going to, wow. I also started drawing every day, which is a whole other thing we can talk about, but um, yeah. So, so specifically in terms of layout, um, I mean, I, I was just reading a lot and studying a lot and, and taking these workshops and thinking a lot about these things. Um, I think that the trickiest thing for me was actually giving myself permission to my layout in a more traditional comics um, way, you know, with, with like, a lot of panels on each page and like a, a character drawn over and over doing different moments of a sequence or something. 
and to kind of let myself um, have pages that were a little more open form, um, you know, with like yeah. one illustration or two illustrations um, instead of like six tight panels or something like that. And, and that's partly, I was inspired a lot by Myra Kalman, the illustrator who has these beautiful, um, her principles of uncertainty when it came out. And it just is like these beautiful lush gouache paintings with her lovely quirky handwriting um, down the side. And, it, and it's not comics. She doesn't use like speech bubbles, but I just loved that style. So I try to like bring in some of that with my narrative storytelling. Hers is not so much narrative. It's more like observational and um, that sort of thing. But Ooh, uh, yeah, so I was trying to mix some things her. up. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about processing because you, I, I love to talk about how people write where and how, and where, how they get it all done, but you also draw yeah. every day too. Do you write and draw every day? Um, I, I started drawing every day in 2018 and did it like hardcore for two and a half years. And then, um, when I was working on the book, it was really like, I just had to be doing like the books I was writing, I was drawing, I was writing, I was drawing. Yeah. Um, and, and so now that the book is out, I'm doing a lot of um, traveling and talking to university, you know, groups and um, book clubs and libraries and that sort of stuff. So I'm doing like more events than I can, um, than is like manageable for daily art and writing. Um, yeah. But that's okay. I will get back to it. Um, and so, yeah, I, right now I'm just trying to do like at least a little sketch each day, just like kind of loosey goosey. Um, I have some ideas for some um, like short form comics that I want to make that I'm thinking about, but um, right now it's just kind of, uh, I'm back to, I teach, I'm a professor. So I, you know, I'm, I'm teaching, I'm doing some of these um, events and that kind of thing. So just trying yeah. to balancing a lot a lot. Yeah. Do you uh, do you normally draw um what's your what's your medium of choice on a daily basis? Um for practical purposes lately it's it's been on my iPad um I love, and using, I love iPad I, drawing. Do you use Procreate yeah, or I use Procreate. Yeah. yeah, the whole book was made in Procreate. Um, wow. And yeah, so it's just an amazing um tool to have yeah. and so like off camera over here is like my analog station where I've got, um, you know, like a bunch of like gouache paints and watercolor paints and um, some just like notebook journals that I like to like glue and scribble and paint in. Um, and, but it's, it's, I haven't been using it as much because it's usually like the end of the day and I just kind of like do a little drawing in my iPad or something. It's really but. nice to be able to cozy up with the iPad and there's no mess yeah. in us and you could do you could do all of that. Okay, yeah. so what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? But whenever I say writing in this conversation, we say writing or drawing or art or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I mean, with with making this book, Honestly, I did keep thinking, wow, this would have been a lot easier if I just wrote it. <laughs> um, and I don't know if I that's bet. true. I bet. <laughs> because I've, you know, every book that I've written, I'm like, oh, you know, like you just get to that difficult stage of like, what do you do? How do you get through this? And, um, but, but that going back and forth was a struggle. And I know a lot of my like friends who are graphic novelists or memoirists, they, they'll say like, I wrote the whole script. 
and now I'm going to draw it. And I'm like, how do you do that? Because I like it, it for me, it just has to be like, they have to feed each other so much mm. that I, I do like what I was saying earlier, I have to go back and forth. I do some writing and then I start to play around and see how it looks. And I'm like, Oh no, that's not going to work. And then I go back. So just in that kind of like back and forth, page to page thing. But then I I think the biggest struggle for me was um, just thinking of the overall structure of the book. You know, I mean, I kind of, I had the idea, like through my proposal, I had an idea for three main parts. It basically stayed in that um, format in terms of content, but I ended up like busting those parts into 13 different chapters. And, and then I was, I had, historical sections you know, so I kind of like went chronologically mostly through my own life, like mostly. Um, But then I was weaving in history from like the 1890s and then from the 1960s and 70s with Title IX and then with, you know, the 1920s with early women's football slash soccer. And it was like, well, where do I put that, you know? And I didn't want them to be too close to each other. I wanted them to correlate to what I was talking about in the chapter. Um, you know, in the previous chapter or whatever. So just like structural. It sounds so complex, but also so fun. Yeah. Wow. I'm also, um, kind of new to soccer and everything soccer, but, uh, now I live in New Zealand and I just went to the last month. I went to the U S versus New Zealand, like a showcase one. It was pretty fun. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. You got to go in person. I've been like, Oh, can I get to New Zealand for the world cup? Like, I've got, I've got three tickets to, I mean, three, (gasps) three different games. That I just oh my gosh bought because we oh, have some friends so who are super into it and they're like this and this and this I said okay they're great they were like thirty dollars yes, yes. oh it's, it's stupid it's so stupid <laughs> cheap <laughs> it was ridiculous <laughs> so, oh that's yeah. so cool well you're gonna be a super fan by the end of it and I know and I know more because <laughs> of your book okay so what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing then I think I, I think my biggest joy in writing is just hitting that hitting the moment that feels right, mm. <laughs> feeling like I'm saying something the way it needs to be said, illustrating it the way it needs to be illustrated like that. Um, and it, I don't know, it's just very satisfying. And I, 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 that. I don't know. I think that's, that's my biggest yeah. Yeah. When we hit the sweet spot, that's <laughs> the sweet spot. Can yeah. you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Yeah. I, you know, when I think about craft and, you know, I'm teaching like a creative writing fiction yeah. class right now. I mean, I, I, I teach craft all the time. When I do, I think of, I talk a lot about um, a couple of things, but then I'm going to say some other thing that I think is like less crafty, but still really important to me. Um, so like when I, when I teach um, workshops or my, my students at my university, I, I like to think a lot about um the like narrative distance and like the voice, the voice, like the then voice and the now voice. Oh yes. Um, and that I've kind of, and I borrowed, about. yeah. Um, I borrowed from um, Sue Silverman has a great essay in the field guide to flash nonfiction, where she talks about the voice of innocence and the voice of experience. And like, mm. especially when you're writing memoir, being able to understand like the voice of the person who was experiencing whatever you're writing mm-hmm. about versus the voice that's processing it now and has wisdom and can make meaning and metaphors out of it. And, and I think just 
those distinctions are really important. And then thinking about that in fiction is interesting too, when you're thinking about like, who's the narrator, when, from what distance are they telling this story? What, you know, what have they learned or understand about it differently if they're, if it's a first person narrator, um, or if it's, you know, a third person or omniscient narrator, like how are they framing this versus like the, the thing the characters are experiencing? So I feel like that's always like a really, like tangible, but hard to describe, but important to, yeah. you know, think about kind of craft element. Um, and for me, and then I, so oh, I was just going to ask, like, when, when do you decide on those things? Cause for me, usually I have to play around in a manuscript to figure out what narrative distance I prefer, unless I go into a novel and I'm like, this is first person present tense. Then I know that that character is just going to be in the here and now she can't know anything else. Yeah. But if it's yeah. not that easy, that, that is a decision to be made. When do you end up making that decision? Yeah. Well, I think like you were saying, I mean, you, you kind of got to work it out as you go. Um, yeah you know, and cause it, it is the kind of thing that can change. It's not like you decide like, okay, I'm going to write this you know, right. with this narrative distance and this event or whatever, and then go, and maybe you can do that. I mean, that would be kind of a cool exercise, but, um, but usually stories, you know, creep up on you and you don't always know what you're yeah. doing. And, you know, so it, yeah, I think it is very much like you have to figure it out organically, but being aware that there are two different um, or at least two different, narrative perspective yeah. and distance moments, you know, um, and to, and to have those in mind, I think is really helpful, important. Yeah. It's, and it's, so. and it's tricky. If anybody is like, Oh my God, I didn't even know about this Google narrative distance. Um, and in memoir, particularly, <sighs> I like to think about the three people that are, that are with us when we're writing memoir, because we have the main character in the book at the time that we're writing about. And then we have the narrative yes. distance and that narrator who is choosing to tell the story. And then we have us as the author who oh my gosh. through these things. I know. So it is just a hard thing to hold in our heads. It's a lot that we're doing. Yes. Yes. No, that's such a great point. And, and that, I think I, you see this in a lot of memoirs. I certainly see in a lot of graphic memoirs and it definitely happened in mine. I, as the author, that, that third yeah. <laughs> um, figure you were talking about, like was transformed through the making of my memoir like yes. I learned things through making it that suddenly ended up in the memoir like you know oh like that's towards complex the end. yeah and at, you know at the end of the book I, I was like I like I had my narrative perspective and I was reading my old high school diaries and I was like so annoyed with myself you know and I was just like oh gosh this is like that's who I was and I was you know and I quote them and have them in there but then and I felt that as as the me writer narrator now, um, well, as the narrator. And by the time I got to the end, I was much like more forgiving of that high school person. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, and I, I felt like even I, yeah, that I had changed and then I could write that into it. And so that merging of me as the actual author and the contemporary narrator, you know, merged together. In that that is beautiful. That is gorgeous. <laughs> I love that. That is gorgeous. Okay. Um, what is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you in your writing career? I find this such an interesting question. I've heard you ask other people this. I've thought <laughs> about it. Like the, I, and I'm like the kindest. Um, and I think when I think of that, I actually think of, um, the the way over the course of like working on this book in particular that my partner like 
he took care of me. He basically mm-hmm. like created like a, a writer's retreat or residence for me and gave me space to do that work wow. um, and made dinner and let me show up late for dinner because I was working on another chapter, another page. And um, because there was, um, we had a bit of an accelerated deadline to try to get the book out in time for the 50th anniversary of Title mm-hmm. IX. And so it just meant that, you know, the however many zillion hours I would have normally stretched out over like three to five years, I was compressing into like one and a half years. And so, and I was working my job and I was, you know, so, so I don't know, that to me was like this deep, deep kindness and support and ongoing, you know? Um, That's lovely. That's a beautiful, beautiful answer. And what is the kindest thing you've ever done for yourself as a writer? Um, I think this was what I was thinking of saying before about craft, that that wasn't a thing, permission to, that I am and want to be, um, you know, I think there's a lot of fear about rules and how things should be done and a desire to like, want to emulate someone else. And so I feel like my journey of kind of like finding my own voice um, as a as a writer, artist, um, a visual sort of voice. Um, I think that's been important for me to like let myself pursue, <laughs> and um, and when I did that daily draw, I started off in the daily drawing in um, 2018. I mean, that was maybe the best like gift I gave to myself was just it. Cause it allowed every day. I was like, well, what am I going to draw? And like, what am I going to draw or paint with? And I just, I experimented with so many different things. I learned so much through doing, I learned what kinds of things I like. I mean, so I do all sorts of things, things in different styles, but, um, and so, yeah, thinking of it related to that craft question, I mean, I really want this for my students and other people that I know are on the writer's journey. Like, I, th- I think we just do so much comparing of ourselves to other people. And like, you know, if we get rid of the scarcity mindset, we could just be like, wow, we all do amazing things. And like, let's lean into what we do well and what we are passionate about. And so doing that for myself was important. Yeah. And and I think that you said that perfectly, not we don't ever have to wait for anybody to give us that we, but we actually have to actively think about giving ourselves this permission. It's not something yeah. that we can hope we figure out. We have to do what we have to figure. We have to give it to ourselves. That yeah. is gorgeous. Yeah. It's perfect. What is um, the best book that you have read recently and why did you love it? Um, I, I just had like one of those I read the whole thing on the plane because it was, I kind of bought it because it was short, <laughs> not because it was short, it was because it was beautiful on the cover. But then, um, but I also was like, I, I knew I needed something short. But I was on the plane ride. I read the whole thing on the plane and was like, you know, quietly weeping. I was <laughs> running, my eyes are watering and I just felt like, um, but anyway, it was um, Foster Keegan which is, she's an Irish writer. And it was a story that was originally published in the New Yorker. And, and then, but it was like pretty long and like the more expanded version, I guess, was published into a very lovely, like novella length book. And I loved the art on the cover. That's what, um, and what was it called again? I mean, um, Foster, Foster by Claire Keegan. It's just about a young girl who's like a foster child sort of for a, a, a family, I mean, she has her own family, 
um, but she goes and stays with another with another couple over the course of the summer in Ireland. And there's just something so like gentle and lovely about the prose and um, and the story and the relationships that were formed. Mm-hmm. That I don't know. It just took that, me by surprise, and it was great. That sounds lovely. And I yeah. I'm gonna look it up because I've been kind of looking for gentle, beautiful things lately. That's what I've been craving. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. And yeah. now would you please like us to tell about, uh, tell us about the keeper, soccer, me, and the law that changed women's lives? Sure. Yeah. So the keeper is my graphic memoir about growing up in the early years of Title IX. And um, Title IX, of course, was law in 19... 19- yeah. yeah. So I grew up as a on multiple competitive girls soccer teams um and and i look back in the book at my early years before i became a goalkeeper when i was like desperately wanting to be like a wide receiver in football but of course couldn't play football because i was a girl and then i was on um soccer early soccer teams that were co-ed soccer teams because they didn't have teams just for girls and then as time went on in the 80s i was able to get competitive teams and play in my high school and play for my college. And um, at the time, I had no idea that the reason those teams even existed was because of Title IX. Um, it, was the, it was just something I totally took for granted. And so I'm looking back now. So I kind of like wanted to on my life and on the millions of women. I mean, so that's the subtitle, the law that changed women's lives. Um, but then in, um, in doing so and learning more about Title IX, I also learned more about like lady footballers, so women soccer players from like 100 years ago that I had no idea about that I would have loved to have known about when I was a young girl growing up playing soccer. It would have been so cool. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece of it for me was wanting to, like, so growing up as an athlete, I had a very strong identity as an athlete. And then after college, it kind of, ended. Um, my sports career ended. There wasn't really much more for me to do because I wasn't Brianna Scurry, who was going to go on and be the U.S. Women's National Keeper. Um, but I, um, but that was when I started to become a writer and an artist and a professor. And so I, those are just very different lives. I mean, I talk about how, how I was the only English major in college who was also a student athlete, you know, yeah. so that they're, they're often very different um, identities and worlds. And so I was interested to see like, and think about how my early years as an athlete shaped me as a writer and what connections they had rather than disconnections. And so it was cool to like, you know, write about how Vladimir Nabokov, um, had been a goalkeeper and Albert Camus. Um, so, you know, these prominent male writers who I've admired for so long and be like, oh, they were goalkeepers too. Um, but of course they were also men. So we had some, we, that, that's where things differed. And so I think yeah. about, um, you know, the similarities, what it means to be a woman athlete, what it means to be a woman artist and how there's, there's actually so much in common in the two, um, just being, you know, a woman in a man's, 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 man's world. <laughs> and you have finally and truly put those two things together for yourself. Like the, this is, this book is where yeah. they came together. Um, yes, oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Where can we find you online? I am all over the place. So Kelsey <laughs> Ervick, last name E-R-V-I-C-K. Um, yeah, dot com. 
I'm that on Twitter. I'm that on Instagram. Um, I've got a Substack, the habit of art that I write about on Ooh. the making of art daily. So people can check that out. So. Jump on that. And that's just at your yeah. website. I'm assuming. <laughs> you can find it Perfect. at my website. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. This was truly inspiring. Thank and now you. I want to go draw something. I um, hope you make that graphic novel. That would be awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>